everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch Dews of the Mayor's Office in the City of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have with us Marcus Coleman, a recent transplant to Pittsfield who's thriving professionally and is dedicated to community service. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you, Roberta. All right, let's get started. All right, so this February will make two years that you've lived in Pittsfield, and it's a city that you've moved to work. And so let's just set the stage. Your current role is that of virtual financial advisor with Raymond James, right? Yes, that is correct. Tell me a little bit about your job. Yeah, so uh, my I just recently got promoted to virtual financial advisor mm-hmm. starting in 2022, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, but the role that brought me to the Berkshires It was a registered client service associate role. And basically what that means is I supported two financial advisors that service a local client base in the Berkshires Mm -hmm. because my ultimate long-term goal is to become a financial advisor myself. Mm -hmm. And what better way to do that than basically put yourself into an apprenticeship and learn from two of the best advisors in the Berkshires. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's take it back a little bit because there is a pathway that actually got you here to Pittsfield and the Berkshires. So your connection to Pittsfield stems back to a 2016 visit when you were a senior at Syracuse University. And the Dooley leadership experience is key to this. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so 2016, I'm a senior at Syracuse University, and I earned a scholarship to play football at Syracuse University. Unfortunately, after my junior year, I was medically disqualified. Um, As a result, it was kind of a a benefit because it allowed me an extra year to really focus on what's life after football. Mm -hmm. And there was a program, it was called the Dooley Leadership Experience, Mm -hmm. which helped undergraduates transition from college to the workforce. And being a kid from the inner city of South Jersey, of Camden, New Jersey, I said I needed this resource to help me be successful in the next chapter of my life. Um, long story short, I met Linda Dooley, um, who's the creator of the Dooley Leadership Experience. And over the last four years, our relationship has grown where she basically became my second mother, mm-hmm. uh, which led to multiple visits to the Berkshires. And she also had an annual retreat. Um, that was for professional development, not just for undergraduates, for managers, people that were considering going to become entrepreneurs. So that constantly constantly kept me in the Berkshires. Nice. All right. So what was your first impression of Pittsville when you visited? My first impression was I'm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> uh, I had the similar bias mm-hmm. as most people um, that didn't grow up in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. When you hear, oh, we're going to Massachusetts, you automatically think Boston. Right. Um, so My mother still thinks I live in Boston, and she she lives in Florida. She's like, oh, I was watching the Boston weather. I'm like, mom, I'm in the Berkshires. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no point in trying to explain <laughs> it to, I, I tell my friends multiple times, I said, I'm closer to Albany yes. than Boston. Yes. And I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And still, the next day. Right. Uh But uh, my first impression was this is in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. However, I did notice all the rolling hills, uh, which which was the natural beauty of the area. So I instantly um, identified that as Mm -hmm. like, okay, there is something unique in this area. Okay. Um, And then my mentor, Linda, was like, this area is known for all the arts. Yeah. I didn't get to experience the arts yet, mm-hmm. uh, but moving up here, I was able to experience a lot of that. Well, I was just about to ask you that because when you moved here, you basically, the pandemic was just starting to kick off. I mean, February 2020, that's really the start of everything. So how was it like moving into a community when there was so much, so much turmoil? So uh, once again, I'm I'm. I'm I'm an extreme optimist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes with its pros and cons. Uh, but moving up here, I took the job. My job started March 2nd, 2020. Two weeks later, Governor Baker did the stay-at-home orders. So on top of starting a new job, moving to a new area, and being in total lockdown, uh, it was actually worked out better for me than being in Philadelphia. Because all my friends that were in um, cities like Philadelphia and New York City, they were going through hell. Mm-hmm. At least I had the escape of the natural beauty right. by going hiking, which I never hiked before until I moved to the, moved to the Berkshires. Really? And I've been over 
30 plus hikes um, in that first year. Now I'm probably over 60. Wow. So, wow. So you had never hiked before. Never hiked before. Hmm. I went from never hiking before to having hiking boots, yak tracks, <laughs> snowshoes. Uh, I'm all in outdoorsmen right now. Wow. There's something to be said for the juxtaposition, right? From city life to living in, um, I wouldn't call this a rural environment. I, I mean, it has a bucolic feel. It's not rural because when I think of rural, I think of like cows. I <laughs> think of like total farmland. I feel like it's, it's a sweet mixture of both. You have the natural beauty, but you also have it have an urban flair if you want that. Yes. Um and definitely again as someone I grew up in the Bronx and I remember the farthest upstate was like Beer Mountain for us like when we would go and so now come now you know living in an area where you know you have it always surrounded by you know around you um it's such a blessing and it's such a great thing so definitely understand how that impression would um settle upon you. So let's talk about once you got here and you're settling into this new life I think one of the great things is that you have the, um, and do, do you call it the DLE or do you continue to call it like the duly leadership experience? Is uh, so, it okay to... to so I, I use the acronym DLE after I emphasize the okay. duly leadership experience, All like right. the Ohio State. Okay. So is it okay for me to say DLE? <laughs> it is. All right. Perfect. All right. So would you say that the DLE provided you with a core network once you were here that helped to maybe um, acclimate you to the area? 100%. Okay. Uh, and that's one of the the things that the DLE prides itself on. Mm-hmm. And I used to be the advisory board chair. And one of the strong suits of the DLE is, is its network. Okay. So we originally started um, exclusively at Syracuse University back in 2008, which, um, which grew our membership to over 500 people in 13 plus countries in 20 different states represented. Wow. Going, being associated with Syracuse University. Then even when we moved it exclusively to the Berkshires and then expanded from there, we have, I think, close to um, 30 states now. And we added two additional countries, Brazil and uh, Brazil and Mexico. And are all these the individuals that are part of the leadership experience, are they SU grads or no? No. So from 2008 to 2016, it was exclusively SU grads. Okay. Now from 2016... Um, to now, wow. um, you have you have a strong Berkshire centric base mm-hmm. where we meet in person at Dottie's every, every other Friday. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you want to meet some new people, mm-hmm. come join us at Dottie's at 7 a.m. Wow! Um, but then virtual COVID was another mm-hmm. blessing for us because it forced the entire world to go virtual, mm-hmm. which made the world smaller for us. Mm. So we we're able to connect with people in Brazil that were. Um, students considering coming to the United States. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I think part of any kind of um, community integration is making sure that you feel a part of it. So it's a great thing that you have such a core network. I know that, the, and, and and we'll talk a little bit more about DLE because I feel like there's been a lot of activities that you've been a part of, community service activities. There have been downtown cleanups, um, flower plantings, things of that nature. Community service is a big part of this, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and community service is something that's a big part of my core, mm-hmm. going, going back to my childhood. So I grew up in an extremely religious household. Uh, my grandfather uh, was a pastor, and he passed away last year. My brother is a minister. My uncle is a pastor. Oh, wow. So church is the family business. <laughs> right. Uh, but one of, one of the core things about being a Christian mm-hmm. is giving back. Right. Um, the DLE, um, we stress that, giving back. But that's who I was. So right. even if I wasn't affiliated with the DLE, I'll be giving back to the community that I live in. All right. And you're also, in addition to the DLE, you also um, are part of some other organizations. These include the NAACP Berkshire County Branch and the Berkshire Black Economic Council. Tell me what you do with those groups. So in both of those roles, I'm the treasurer. Okay. Uh, so I help out with the finances. Uh, for the NAACP, uh, it's been a great uh, the last two years has been great for the NAACP when it comes to donations mm-hmm. because of all the civil unrest in the United States and a lot of people saying, okay, DEI is important. The community, the Berkshire community really said, okay, we're going to support the NAACP. And at that time, the NAACP went from, uh, operate, uh, went from an account of 
20,000. Now we're over 200,000. Wow. So it, it, it took, it, it needs, the NAACP needed different resources mm-hmm. and different skills. Mm-hmm. And it was just perfect timing for me to come in and help them out. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, your background, obviously, you bring a lot of expertise and a lot of talent to um, the roles that um, you are participating in in these organizations. Economic literacy, financial empowerment are central to all of these things. Tell me um, a little bit about why this is sort of the bedrock of your focus. Yeah. So it goes back to my childhood. So I grew up in Camden, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And Camden, New Jersey, back in 2008, was the murder capital of United States. Um, so it was a tough inner city, um, low, low economic background. Uh, my mother, um, she, she's amazing. She was a single mother. She went back to college. She became a math teacher. And she was able to raise um, my, myself and my brother, who both are college graduates and doing well for ourselves. Uh, but my experience growing up in Camden, something I identified as a, a young kid was I realized a lot of people that were um, breaking the law or had drug addictions, their root was um, lack of economic opportunity or economic literacy. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, I mean, as a kid, I, I still remember, I'm, like, I'm probably in middle school. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to make my dedication to this. So I focused on getting into a private high school, which was Camden Catholic. Mm -hmm. Then after Camden Catholic, I focused on getting into a college that had great academics, which was Syracuse University. And it led me into becoming a financial advisor. Well, you know, I feel like sometimes when you're going, you're navigating these environments, you see you see a lot of things. Did you have an observation or did you witness something that stayed with you all these years? Because obviously you have this entire environment that is fraught with challenges, um, distractions um, and 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 can frankly take you down Mm -hmm. so did you have an experience or something that you said wait a second this is my personal aha moment um and that you sort of hold dear to you to this day so it's my mother okay so uh you always hear this saying uh pull yourself up by the bootstraps especially when you're referring to african-americans so my mother is a perfect my mother's story is a perfect example of pulling herself up by her bootstraps um, she was a single mother of two kids um, living in Camden, New Jersey, which is a tough inner city. Mm-hmm. And she decided to go back to college at night while working two jobs to major in mathematics mm. and decided not to become an engineer, mm-hmm. but decided to become a math teacher in the community that she was raised mm-hmm. to provide opportunities for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yes, by becoming a teacher, she increased how much she made but truly, did it create a better financial picture for her? No. Why? You have student loans. Right. Then you have raising two kids, being a single mother. How, is it financial literacy or is there truly enough resources? Right. Um, so that's what really stuck with me because a lot of times my community, when they go into a financial institution, they always feel like it's their fault. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's because you didn't save, you didn't budget. But a lot of times, potentially, there are some other factors at play right. that is not helping your situation. Right. You have to make choices in the moment. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that require survival. So while you want to maybe, you know, pocket away, you know, funds for something else, you really have to look at the day to day. I think what's interesting is that as a child, you recognize your mother's struggle and her sacrifice and because you said she went to school at night? Yes. So you guys were good boys then. So, because I'm thinking <laughs> I'm thinking kids now, you guys were you were good. Yeah, so my, my grandmother who passed away two mm-hmm. years ago, um, we had a strong relationship because she raised me from I, I mean, I still girl, I'm a kid, but five years old, that's when I started to have my first memories. Yeah. Every day after school, I was at my grandma's until ten PM. Mm-hmm. Um and even after my mom graduated and became a teacher, being a teacher is a, a lot of work as yep. well. Um, so I was with my grandmom some more. So my grandmom really allowed my mom to better her life. Right. So she had that network. I think that's that's also very important, too, you know, it's because sometimes you hear stories of people who are able to do great things. And you realize they have this great network around whether it's one person, two individuals, three 
having that is so helpful because we really do need each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so at Camden Catholic High School, you were not only stellar, you know, on the football field, but you were also, you know, great with your um, your academics. And so I'm sure you had so many different colleges coming at you. What was it about Syracuse that really sealed the deal? Okay. So I'll answer the question first on the football side, right. and then I'll go to the <laughs> okay. academics. Okay. Because uh, I don't want to give a, a fake mm-hmm. uh, rundown of my football abilities. All right. Okay. So I was an offensive lineman in high school. So people that are not versed in football, uh, offensive linemen is the real big guys that protect the quarterback, protect like a Tom Brady. Uh, the pretty boys that score all the touchdowns. Thank you for the explanation because I am not versed in football. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so um, even though I was big in high school, I wasn't big for the D1 level. So in high school, I was around 6'1", probably 280, 290. Um, so that's not a D1 alignment. Um In the ACC, when I went in, the average offense alignment was 6'3", 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh so D one school, big D one schools weren't offering me as an offensive tackle, but they were willing to take a chance on me as a defensive tackle. Uh, and defensive tackle is the people that chase after the pretty boy, okay. the Tom Brady, the Tom Brady's right. of the world. Uh-huh. Um, so Syracuse was one of the schools that really believed that I had the ability to make that transition from offensive line to defensive line. And then on top of that, the academics at the school had a great business school. Um, which I applied to prior to getting this, uh, w- which I applied to after I got the scholarship mm-hmm. to Syracuse and got into the business school. So which made it a no brainer for me. I was like, OK, I'm already into the business school. Right. I don't have to come in <clears throat> undeclared. Mm-hmm. I can still chase after my goals. Right. Well, my, my brother is a graduate of Syracuse and um, and I and I had some friends who attended Syracuse as well. So I, Syracuse is a very it's it's a great school. Um, and um, so I, I have no doubt that you were able to fulfill everything um, that you wanted. But I, ha- I have to also ask um when you are on that field, so many um, great players have um, have really played on played on that field and 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 come from that institution. How did it feel for you to be um, to be there? It it was truly uh, it was truly an honor because um, a lot of young kids that play football uh, or play sports in general want wants to get to the professional level. Mm-hmm. And getting to the big Division One level, whether it's football, basketball, is really that last step before the NFL. Mm-hmm. So a lot of guys that you play with and against, you're going to see on Sunday. Right. And then playing at Syracuse, which is the largest dome in college football, um, we have a dome on the middle of our college campus, right. which is crazy. Then you had Ernie Davis. Uh, Floyd uh, Floyd Little that played there. Mm-hmm. Um, current greats, you have Chandler Jones, defensive end, that's going to be a Hall of Famer. You have Justin Pugh, who's an offensive lineman. So you have so many great past players and present players that you could, all you could do is just be honored that you were able to affiliate your name right. with the Orange brand. Did you have aspirations for the NFL? Um, I get that question a lot. And I will say, I think... Being a competitor, you always want to get to the top, like the top level of anything. Mm-hmm. So if you were a ballerina, you want to get to the top level. Um, but I was realistic. I had I had a high self-efficacy, mm-hmm. so I knew my abilities. And once I got to the D1 level, um, it was like guys that were in high school. When you're in high school, you kind of know, okay, that guy's a D1 mm-hmm. football player. I was at Syracuse. I'm like, oh, you are an NFL <laughs> football player. I need to focus on my education a little bit more. Right. You were able to put things in perspective. Yes. All right. So with that being said, midway through your um, your undergrad experience, your football career actually had, um, it stopped. It came to um, an unexpected end because you had some chronic foot injuries that you were dealing with. That must have been really devastating for you, um, even though you are, a, you know, you're an optimist and obviously a realist. Um, you still were passionate about football and the game. How did you handle that at the time? Yeah. So retrospectively, after getting more versed in mental health, mm-hmm. um, I realized I was going through a process of losing an identity. 
So my entire life, even though I was good in academics or and had other skills like playing the trumpet, I was Marcus, the football player. And getting medically disqualified at that level, um, one, my identity of being a football player was over and I needed to establish myself as something else. Mm-hmm. And then two, I truly didn't have control of the end. Hmm. It would have been different to graduate and know that, okay, I, I finished it out. I gave all I can. Right. This is the end of my journey. But to feel like it was pulled for me prior to um, con- prior to me completing my, my task, mm-hmm. that was something else hard to, mm-hmm. to manage. So that year for me, um, that was tough mentally. My, my grades slipped. Uh, even though I had more time, the focus was, wow, I'm like what? Who am I? What right, am I? What right. am I supposed to do? Because now? suddenly everything shifts. Like you no longer go to practice. You no longer, you know, you, that camaraderie that you have with your team. It's it's different. Mm-hmm. It's all gone. You, you, it's basically losing it overnight. And I think for someone, you still got to remember in college, you're still. I still consider myself a kid. Right. I mean, you're not 29 years old. Right. Yeah. You're still. You're yeah. still a kid. Yeah. Uh, so processing something that major. Mm-hmm. Uh, retrospectively looking at it was a lot Hmm. Um, but I learned a lot from it too because now was it five years later Mm -hmm. I I realized that I am more than football Hmm. and I proved that to myself which is a a, so much confidence that is just allowing me to accomplish even more Hmm. what did you um, did you have people around in your corner who were helping you get through this yeah. So my my roommates, mm-hmm. uh, my my so roommates, also my teammates, mm-hmm. they were great throughout this process because unfortunately, uh, one of my roommates was the starting quarterback Terrell Hunt. Okay. Um, the year before he broke his leg, um, so he broke his leg. He only played six games. He was doing very well in the ACC. Um, so the whole off season, he worked hard. He gets back. He earns the starting job again. Second game of the season, he tears his Achilles. So, <sighs> um, it it was to go through that process. Yeah. Him tearing his Achilles came after me getting medically disqualified. Oh gosh! So it was like I was able to help him, but mm-hmm. at the same time, he was able to help me. Wow. Um, but you bounced back. I did. And you still maintain academic excellence, and you um, you ultimately graduated from, I guess the full name is the Martin J. Whitman School of Management, and your concentrations are in that of finance and supply chain management. Yes. So I got to I gotta read one of your favorite quotes. It's from Ken, Ken Chenault. Um, he is a former CEO of American Express, and he's one of the first African-Americans to become a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And it reads, many people don't focus enough on execution. If you commit to getting something done, you need to follow through on that commitment. When did you first ascribe to that that uh, that quote? Um, so I, I obviously wasn't thinking about it as a kid, uh, but as a kid, I, I always wanted straight A's. Mm-hmm. And really, yeah. So my first my first B. So I graduated valedictorian uh, from middle school. Okay. My first B came my freshman year in high school, and I still remember it, and I cried. Um, I had many B's since then, and a couple of C's in there, that year. But um, I always realized that no matter what, like you can play football, you mm-hmm. might have life things going on. If you set a goal, you got to get it finished. Right. So um, that that's that's where I always always had that focus. Mm-hmm. And the, now that I'm older, that's what people value um, in business. You have a lot of people that give you a lot of talk. Yeah. Everyone can say they can do something. Uh-huh. But the person that delivers, right. that's the one that comes out on top. Absolutely. It's that 360 degree cycle because you're right. There is that starting point. But I think when it comes to the, the delivery of things, um, it really is in the actions and the follow through. Um, and that's how things actually happen and get done. Um, and I'm sure that's what you're bringing to the table with the DLE, you're bringing to the table with the NAACP and also with the Berkshire um, Black Economic Council, which there are some good things in store for that, right? You have some exciting initiatives coming up? Yes. Yeah, so the uh, Berkshire Black Economic Council, which the president is um, AJ Anchol, mm-hmm. and then um, his brother, uh, who has a bit, had a big involvement in the Formation of this new uh, new five hundred one c three this nonprofit in the Berkshire. Would that be Auric? That was Auric, yes. Okay, and he's the sales manager over right. at Elegant Stitches. That's right. 
And the whole focus of this nonprofit is to empower African Americans mm-hmm. in the Berkshires. Okay. Um, whether that is via the arts, mm-hmm. whether it's through economic literacy, mm-hmm. whether it's through job opportunities, mm-hmm. every aspect of the African American's life, mm-hmm. we plan to focus all resources and attention to that. Mm-hmm. And as young leaders, we feel like we have the energy mm-hmm. um, to do so. Right. At the same time, uh, we surrounded ourselves. Uh, with great people on our board, right? Um, your husband Warren, mm-hmm. Shirley Edgerton. Uh, I mean, it just keeps going, right? A, a, as you know, and so we're pretty excited about that. And um, recently, uh, we were awarded mm-hmm. a twenty-five thousand dollar grant uh, from the Boston Fed, okay, um, to support BIPOC, okay, businesses in the Berkshires. And for those who may not know what BIPOC means, you can... it's Black Indigenous People of Color. Okay, so the acronym is Black Indigenous People of Color. Okay. All right. So there is um, so there's a verse that that always says to whom much is given, much is required. And I think it's always a good thing when people are able to have success, have individual success, but also have the ability to um, to to look around, turn back and see who else can I help. And I always like to say no man is an island as well. And um, I think it's very refreshing to see professionals such as yourself, such as AJ, um, Auric, um, and so many other um, professionals in the community thinking about how can I elevate um, my, my, my fellow community members and, and help them? Because we know that there were many times when the playing field wasn't equal. And so it's important that when you're able to sort of achieve some level um, of success, be able to say, okay, who can I bring up and and help and shore up um, and strengthen along their journey? Because we've all had that person or persons um, who has been able to sort of help us along the way. In thinking of that inspiration and that empowerment, have you been able to go back to Camden and talk to young people there, especially in a community where they they have seen so much? It might be different now, but, you know, have you been able to, to talk to young people or, or give back in any kind of capacity there? Yeah. So when I was in South Jersey, I was actively involved in my church, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, my church is Camden Bible Tabernacle. Um, I'm still actively involved being in the Berkshires, uh, which is located in Camden mm-hmm. by our, our pastor, Reverend Hayward Wiggins III, and mm-hmm. he does great work. Um, and that was something I realized. A lot of times these kids have so much talent. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, and it's not just sports talent, like they're intellectuals, but their environment is not providing them that the resources right. that they need to really hone their skills. Right. <clears throat> And representation matters. Absolutely. So seeing someone like myself, uh, right now we're on a podcast, so you can't see my presence. I'm right. 6'1", <laughs> one, over 220 pounds, and I have a lot of tattoos. Mm-hmm. And uh, letting them know that, look, I came from Camden, New Jersey. I listened to hip-hop. I played football. I have a lot of tattoos, but right. at the same time, I have two degrees, right. over seven licenses. Right. You can still be a part of the culture right. but be an intellectual I like to say instead of that but and, and. right because you're joining the two because the but the but disqualifies the first part mm-hmm. but when you say and it's like both are welcome yep. so you know it's like you can still look like this and do that and have this great life so absolutely, it's so important. That's why I, um, you know, part of my work too, just working with young people, because it is important for them to um, to to see people in different roles. I remember, you know, even for when I started out as a young journalist, you know, you know, twenty years ago, I remember just going into classrooms and um, you know the students they said well you don't, you don't look like a you don't look like a journalist and I would say well what does that look like mm-hmm. right and so you have you know young kids have preconceived notions of what different you know people in different professions should look like because that's what they see so the more times they can um, be exposed to different people saying wow that person does that job or that person's my teacher or that person's my police officer or that person it expands their worldview and I like to say we are living in a global world we are you know and that's so to, before we I, I want to stay on this topic yeah. because 
uh, we're in the Berkshires, mm-hmm. and that's the home of W.E. Du Bois, right. and one of the greatest intellectuals of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of his, one of his, one of my favorite writings by him, and that was introduced to me by my brother, mm-hmm. um, is on dual consciousness. Mm-hmm. Is we know how we are perceived by our own community, right. but once you get into the dominant culture, community, dominant culture, mm-hmm. how are they perceiving our actions, mm-hmm. our words, how we dress, how we move, mm-hmm. and that goes back to representation because right. I had to deal with that going into. Uh, financial advising, uh-huh. uh, ultra conservative yeah. industry. Not not just talking about political, but it's just that's just the nature. It, it's, it, there's hasn't been a ton of African Americans mm. to break into that space mm-hmm. and get going into that space, realizing that well, there's a lot of different cultures in America, mm-hmm. and I don't want to go on a rant into anthropology, but there's a term called ethnocentrism Mm -hmm. and that's judging another culture based off the norms of your own right and i fell into that when i went into uh finance i'm like did he just say that or right because you were then okay you're i'm judging their actions Mm -hmm. how they're presenting themselves based off our culture Mm -hmm. norms and it was happening the other way around Mm. so maybe something that i did didn't have the attention of being aggressive, mm-hmm. but it was perceived right. as aggressive through their cultural lens. Right. And that's something as African Americans, mm-hmm. we really have to manage we something that we really have to deal with because we're not the dominant culture. Well, you you actually took the conversation in another direction because I'm like, <laughs> whoa, I'm well, this is Marcus, this is it's it, there are so many layers to everything that you just said. And, you know, there are different schools of thought. Because you're absolutely right. There, um, there is definitely that lens that exists. And then there are those who also would say, I don't want to subscribe to respectability politics, mm. right? And that they don't want to be beholden to that lens. Um, and I have found um, as I approach my 43rd year um, on this earth, um, I have found that it's a mixture of both. You know, uh, it's a balance because, um, you know, I when I came out of NYU back in 2000, you know, my my concentration was in print journalism, but my minor was in Africana studies. And so I was very focused on a lot of things and I had (laughs) very strident views. And I my experience over time has allowed me to expose um, or expand, I should say, um, some of my views. I, you know, and, and to be able to have a balance working in different industries, I've been able to sort of um, navigate those spaces. But I think it comes with experience. I think it comes with that constant exposure. And I also think it comes through just sometimes you just have to go through some things. Yes. And when you go through those things, then you're like, OK, I have this lesson under my belt. And I've had to have that in my career. I've had those experiences where I'm like, okay. And you, in the, in the moment, you question, you wonder, you analyze, you question, you wonder, you analyze, wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. And, and then at some point you have to let it go. Mm-hmm. And, but, but, but what you take from that experience is a lesson. And it serves to inform you for the future. So it's, it's definitely a, a Balance, and you're absolutely right. It's that it's. I think any person, um, a person of color, um, if you're in an environment, you, you know, especially if it's uh, an um, an environment where you are the minority, you are bound to have experiences, right, where you have to basically be able to navigate, and so you learn a lot mm-hmm. as you go through those. Um, but yes, I would definitely um, say continue. <laughs> to have more experiences because I think it will um, lend itself to um, to your view. And I'd love to hear maybe 10 years from now uh, w- what that is. I, some people hold on to their views. Some people expand it. Some people, you know, it, it all depends. It all depends on where life takes you. Um, but I think if you stay in the world that you're in, which is, you know, investment, would it be investment services? Yes. That's a very conservative world. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's one of the things that I am grateful for because a lot of people were able to go go our entire lives staying in circles mm-hmm. um, with people that have the same thought process. Right. Um, and 
from going back to Camden Catholic. Yeah. That was my first true experience being in an environment mm-hmm. that was different than mine. Okay. Um, so that was a culture shock. Okay. But I still always had my football guys. Was your school mixed? Because I went to an all-girls Catholic high school in St. Barnabas, and it was in Yonk. It was so the address was the Bronx, but half of the school was in Yonkers, half of it was in the Bronx, and I went to school with like like Irish folks, Italians, Spanish. Like I went to school with girls from so many different backgrounds. So I am so. Um, appreciative of my background because I was I've have I have always been exposed to people from different backgrounds so I never feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable in myself and I'm comfortable navigating different spaces because I've always had that exposure I think sometimes the opposite can be true when you don't have exposure to different people you have a very linear view Mm-hmm. And and that's where that ethnocentrism can come in because um, you only have one point of reference. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this is a simple saying. I can't remember. I'm trying to give it credit to the person, but it's a psychologist. You learn how to be human from other humans. Right. So as a kid, I learned how to be human from my environment. Right. And being human in an inner city is drastically different than going to a private school. Right. Those skills that I learned to survive, potentially looking at someone in the eye too mm-hmm. long could be a sign of disrespect in an inner city. Absolutely. That, But not looking at looking someone in the eye in, in a different environment is a form of uh, disrespect. Absolutely. So it's, yes. it's those things that I had to learn and navigate. Um, uh, also, uh, one thing I use, I talk about is communication style. Yeah. Uh, one thing in communication is in inner cities, in certain inner cities and in certain cultures just speak faster. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, you're Jamaican, right? Yeah, I am. So in Jamaican culture, yeah. you speak faster. Yes. Um, you majored in journalism. Yeah. So over your time, I'm pretty sure you worked on your cadence. Absolutely. And um, your enunciation of certain words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but growing up in inner city than going to Camden Catholic, yeah. I did not speak the same language. Ah. My vernacular was different. Okay. And that's the same thing from when I went from college into investment service. But see, but but what those backgrounds afford you is the ability to shift. Oh, yeah. And so you're able then to go into different environments and shift. How I am with my friends who I grew up with is not how I am in a professional realm. Not that it's vastly different. I don't want to give that impression. But just in terms of the, um, and I think we all do that from all backgrounds, we all are able to shift into those different spaces mm-hmm. with some level of comfort, some level of ease, um, because we are in that known surrounding. But but when you are, but there is a particular emphasis on being able to shift from a cultural environment into, say, an academic environment that is vastly different. You have to pick up the norms. Mm-hmm. You have to pick up the cultural norms. So you almost have to be a quick learner. So not only are you picking up on that academic, um, your 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 the academics aren't your only focus, but there's also a social element that comes into play because that is part and parcel of your academic experience. Because even if Marcus is good in the books, if you're still sort of like, yeah, Marcus is great in the books, but I don't know what's going on with this attitude. You know, he's just a wild card. Yes. Then that would have a negative impact on 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 your 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 record. So it's learning that. And that's part of, um, I think, the exposure that I, I feel like I you know, I um, I focus on when I work with young people, being able to navigate those spaces, being able to say, OK, you can be one way with your friends and you can have a great time with your friends. But when you're in this environment, this is what you need to do. And it's not it's not changing who you are. You're mm-hmm. not being less than who you are, because sometimes people say, well, I'm going to keep it real. You know, I want to keep it real and this is me and you're not going to change me. And maybe 20 year old me kind of felt that way, too. You know, I was like, this is me and I and and you stand your ground. But at what cost Mm -hmm. you stand your ground at um, at the cost of um, opportunities. And also you close yourself off to things. Yeah. You know, unnecessarily so, because it's not a great position to take because it's when you open yourself up to hearing different, you know, experiences and different views. It doesn't take away from who you are, 
but you're able to sort of be a participant in mm-hmm. the process. No, it's so true. And what you just explained um, was assimilation mm-hmm. while still maintaining your true identity. Right. And a lot of times, and I, I had to go through this. So you're, we, we mentioned, you mentioned about five minutes ago, I wonder what your beliefs are going to be in 10 years mm-hmm. from your experiences, mm-hmm. how they change. And I can give you an example how my beliefs changed in just five years. Um, so I had this negative connotation around assimilation. Mm-hmm. Assimilation, I always took it as you're absorbing the dominance culture norms mm-hmm. and losing yourself. Mm-hmm. But like you just expa- explained, assimilation is not losing yourself. Right. It's I, I use the analogy of we all have this experience. You had the kids table as a kid yes, for, and you yes. had the adults table. Why? Because an adult is going to talk to a kid differently than how they talk to an adult. Right. And what you just explained, you're going to talk to your friends differently than you talk to your mom and dad. I'm not going to go to my mom and dad and say, yo, what's up, mom? Right, exactly. I mean, maybe some people have those relationships maybe, with their parents. Not my parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't do that. But that's not me selling out. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's this There's this weird, not, I don't want to say weird, but there's this focus that if you don't, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then you're not true to the culture. You're not true to yourself. And that's not the case. I have found, you know, that it's okay to bring yourself to to the roles. I give you an example um, for me. You know, so I have locks. You know, I started my locks a long time ago before locks were trendy. Yeah. And um, now they're the trendy thing. Mm-hmm. But when I started locking my hair, um, and, you know, I, and for those people who may not know what locks are, so that's and it's it's a shortened version of what's called dreadlocks, right? And and so. Um, for me, I made that decision like 20 years ago to lock my hair. Um, and that was a personal decision. You know, some people say, well, you know, were you becoming like a Rastafarian? No, I, nope, it, nope. It just, it just was a stylistic decision I wanted to do. And I, I would, I would be um, remiss if I said that I didn't think about how that would be perceived in the environments that I was in. But I was always able to, I knew that it wasn't going to look crazy. I knew that I was always going to bring my best self wherever I went. And so, yes, my hair was different, but I always felt like I brought my best self to whatever environment I was in. And um, I and, and I've got always got I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, well, if you know, if you're not able to bring your best self, mm-hmm. then that environment doesn't deserve you. Right. And so that's it. It's no longer, you know, I have to do everything to fit in it. You know, are you able to bring your best self? And I think for young professionals of all different backgrounds, that's the thought. Because that's when we think about DEI and we think about diversity and we think about, in, you know, work environments that thrive. That's how people are able to thrive when they're able to be themselves and be productive um, and, and and not feel like they have to be put in that proverbial box mm-hmm. no and i mean you you hit it you hit it on the money is i th- the your statement of if you can't be your best self in the environment mm-hmm. then leave because we did just have this co- we just had the conversation of mm-hmm. assimilate right but don't lose your true identity That's right, right but there is still a boundary there's a border there absolutely because assimilation not at the cost of your your total peace. So, and I think, and again, these are things that are acquired over time because it's very easy to go to one end of the spectrum and say all or nothing. I've seen that. I've seen people say, well, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm done. And I'm like, oh, gosh. I mean, I, I come from the school of you definitely, you know, you pay your dues, you stick with it, even if a situation sometimes, even if there's levels of discomfort, you just don't run from that first thing. So mm-hmm. I have, I you know, I, that's the school that I come from. Uh, but I've also seen that there is a new generation that is like, okay, well, you look at me wrong, I'm out. <laughs> that is <laughs> I'm true. I'm gone. <laughs> Like, all right, I'm done. I'm out. And and I think that there has to be a balance, right? You have to be able to reconcile. Okay, what what is my what is my what is my peace worth? Right. When it comes down to what is my peace worth? And when that peace starts to affect your productivity, that's when you have to start to really, you know, um, do that self-analysis and and make those decisions that are, you know, um, important for, for, for you. But 
Yeah, it's so many things. So many things. I totally did not expect our conversation to take this turn. <laughs> but you but but like I had I told you before we you know, we, we started, I said this the conversation can go anywhere. And I'm mm-hmm. so glad it did because I think that there are people, young professionals out there that um, that have these thoughts are thinking that and especially if you are a part of a BIPOC community, then you definitely there is that feeling of wanting to fit in. And um, and and those are questions. Those are very real questions. Um, and when you stand out for whatever reason, <laughs> anyway, um, you think about those other factors too. So I think lots of food for thought, mm-hmm. um, lots of terms for people to look into. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. So all right. So let me let me switch gears a little bit. Um, you mentioned that you played an instrument. I did. Okay. All right. So not only football, not only finance, but also music. Yeah. So that's a that's a fun story as well. Uh, so my being part of the church, my like I mentioned, the church was uh, that, the, the church is central to your life. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's still central to my yes. life. I need to find a church home up here. Okay. As well. So if you have any okay. recommendations, All right. <laughs> uh, please let me know. Um, my first love was music. Mm-hmm. So my brother currently still plays the piano. Okay. My mother used to play the piano. Um, she no longer does mm-hmm. now. Uh, but I played the trumpet from fifth grade all the way up to ninth grade. Um, I traveled in a, ja- a little jazz ensemble. Really? Uh, yeah, I was <laughs> I was serious about it. Wow. And the reason why I stopped playing trumpet uh, was in my ninth grade, I got to Camden Catholic. And the reason why I'm at Camden Catholic was the high school coach. He saw me in the spring league. Yeah. Thought I would be good um, fit for the team. And he saw me pursuing music. He was like, look, Marcus, you can either pursue the trumpet. Yeah. Or I'm pretty sure you got a $250,000 scholarship in your future. And he was like, I, I really think you should focus all in on football. So at, at the time, I'm like, ah, like, uh. Yeah, I like football. I'm focusing on football. Oh, in, hindsight, in hindsight, that wasn't a true. That wasn't a true. That wasn't a good reason for me to stop. I, yeah. I should have kept playing. Um, I still own a trumpet. I have it in storage. I can't read music as well as I used to. Uh, but that's something I do want to pick up again. I used to play the flute, and um, I started in elementary school, and then. I continued playing at the Harlem um, School of the Arts, and um, and I played in an orchestra, oh, and wow. yeah, and so just thinking back, like I, I don't know. I mean, thinking about playing now, I'm like, oh, it would be rusty. Yeah. <laughs> but I think back to my middle school self, and I'm like, wow, I played a, an instrument, and I was in and I was in an orchestra. That's pretty. You're the impre- real deal. That's pretty impressive, and it was cool. Um, and I don't know. I mean, maybe one of these days, I'll uh, just for the fun of it, I'll maybe get a rent out a, a flute and try to put it. Oh, together. you have to. Your whole family's musicians. Right? Well, listen, Warren is a singer. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's see, my brother. Well. I mean, my immediate family, they're more actors. Okay. Wes tried playing, was it the, the trombone? I think the trombone, yeah, one season, he tried to, that thing was so big. Okay. He tried doing the <laughs> trombone, um, and Kennedy tried her hand at the flute as well. But they more have theatrical um, inclinations. Okay. They, uh, that they, they were BTG kids, Berkshire Theater Group kids. Okay. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, if they ever, and Warren is the singer, but if they ever want to play an instrument, I would fully support it. I will say that when I was at HSA, one of the things that prior to um, playing um, our music lessons, we had um, music theory and ear training. And if you hear any great musician, they always help, they always talk about being able to hear the notes, being able to hear music. There are some people who can just play by ear. Which is amazing. I'm fascinated by that and 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 so it goes back to these are people who this is just their gift i suppose um so i, I i'm not included in that group 
but that's okay though. Um, <laughs> we all have our own gifts, right? We, we all do. We all do. So maybe one of these days, Marcus, <laughs> you will dust off that trumpet and, and you know and and try your hand at it. You will see me at Tanglewood. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, you will see me at Tanglewood, but I will be on a blanket. Okay. Watching and listening. <laughs> <laughs> Understand? Okay. But love Tanglewood. Um, all right. So speaking of uh, things to do, what does? And I know we're in the midst of crazy, crazy times. But what would your perfect Pittsfield day out look like? Oh, perfect Pittsfield day out. Mm-hmm. So one of the great things about uh, the Berkshires is the arts. Yes. Uh, so we have a, a, a lot of uh, museums mm-hmm. to go to, art galleries. Um, so I just went to the Norman Rockwell exhibit okay. Okay. in December of this year. Okay. Actually, November of this year. Okay. And I have to go back. Okay. Uh, truly amazing. Okay. The illustration work. Yes. And his impact that he had on corporate America. Yes. On this whole marketing of services and products. I don't want to go into the weeds, mm-hmm. but that's where I will go. I'll go okay. to Norman Rockwell. Museum. So I'm going to expand that to the Berkshire Day Out because I said <laughs> I said Pittsburgh and you just went right to Stockbridge. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Take a step. We got Berkshire Museum. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, so Berkshire Museum right here in Pittsfield. Okay. Um, and then um, Ali. Ali's my girlfriend. Yes, yes. Uh, we, we love to go to different uh, restaurants okay. in the area. Um, uh, one of our favorites is Mission. Mm-hmm. I mean, not Mission. Uh, Methu- wow. Is it Methuselah? It's not. Uh, it's District. District. Sorry about district. that. But Mission and Methuselah are both great establishments. Mm-hmm. Methuselah is great to go. Uh, for drinks mm-hmm. uh, late night mm-hmm. uh, mission uh, I love going there for my beers and live music mm-hmm. uh, and then if I want to go uh, hmm trying to think oh then go on hiking okay I mean you have a ton of trails just in Pittsfield you have Pittsfield State Forest okay uh, I've never done the trails in Pittsfield State Forest is it do you have like a favorite so I mean my do I have a favorite trail? Yeah. Um, one of my, my favorite things is a fun fact mm-hmm. is at the top of Pittsfield State Forest is Berry Pond, oh. uh, which is the highest elevation of water in Massachusetts. Really? Yeah. Fun fact. If you go up there, it will show you that. Oh. Who knew? Uh, yeah. Who knew? And maybe, okay. <laughs> maybe someone needs to fact check me because I could read the wrong, uh, read the sign wrong. But apparently, Berry Pond is the highest elevation of water Who in knew? Massachusetts. So getting up to Berry Pond is it arduous? Is it a no. great walk? So yeah, you, um, you actually as a part of the driving oh. um, route. So it, it takes you up to the oh. top, which has a nice vista mm-hmm. at the top of Pistol State Forest. If you if anyone's looking for a cost effective date, mm-hmm. um, that's a great place to go. Okay. And then you can hike around Berry Pond. Um, oh. It's flat, uh, so it's not a lot of elevation. So if you're new into hiking, that'll be a great. So you first drive up there, and then you can walk. You can walk around. Got it. Okay, okay. So there are lots of things to do in Pittsfield. Oh yeah, it's, okay. it's a ton. All right, I just had to just put that plug out there because sometimes people say there's nothing to do, and again, I think that goes back to your perspective, right? If your perspective is based on X, Y, and Z then you're going to say there's nothing to do. Mm-hmm. If your perspective, if you allow your perspective to be opened up and expanded, then you realize that there are countless things to do. And we're in the winter season. Yep. So you mentioned, was it yak tracks or? Yak okay, tracks. Okay, so. Or snowshoes. Or snowshoes. So you, do you go snowshoeing? I, I, so I haven't yet this year. Okay. But I have in the past. All right. You got canoe medals right in this right. okay. that you can go to. That's great for snowshoeing. Really? Yeah, canoe medals is great for snowshoeing. Now I that now been. that Marcus has said it, now <laughs> canoe medals it's going to be overrun <laughs> with people snowshoeing. Okay. Um, people in that part of Pittsville don't get mad at me. All that, right. It is a great recommendation. <laughs> I think the people who um, oversee Canoe Meadows will appreciate the tr- the, uh, the the visitors. All right. All right. So can- Canoe Meadows is good. Anything else? Any other recommendations? So I haven't been skiing yet or okay. snowboarding, but Bosque. Okay. Um, You're a skier. I- I'm not a skier. Oh. I haven't yet. Oh. But. Oh, I thought you meant you haven't yet for the season. Oh, so I haven't in general in, oh, in ever general. in my life. Got but it. that's one of okay. the, <laughs> that's one of my, um. One of my, I, I want that to become a new hobby. All right. Moving to the Berkshires. Right. I picked up hiking. Okay. Um, now I want to pick up skiing. All right, skiing's next. I, I'm going all, I'm going all out. And why not? Now. And you know, listen, 2022 is the year of 
Why not? We have gone through so much for the last two years. What is really stopping us? I, I say, if you have a goal, just do it. Yeah. Just, if you want to learn. Like, I have a goal. Like, I want to learn how to make clothes. Like, I have a sewing machine. That's a big goal. So- <laughs> I think we need, to, we need to readjust people's goals out here. <laughs> so I, I think what I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a simple pattern, but I'm gonna try my hand at that because um, it's something that I I actually learned in home ec. Okay. In middle school, I learned how to make a reversible vest and a pair of shorts, and I was so proud that I actually learned how to do this. And some of the things that you learn, you just move so far away from that. And I think it's it's I think there's it's very endearing. There's mm-hmm. something charming about just getting a pattern and putting something together. So it's one of my things for 2020 in just to, you know, my, my goal list. OK, so we're putting Lululemon out of uh, business. I wouldn't say so. OK, but, you know, I'm starting small. You know, maybe I'll start with a, a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> And a, a napkin? Um, maybe a napkin, then I patch it together. Okay. But listen, got You always got to start somewhere. I mean, I'm not going to come out the gate. So I'm going to make a pair of pants. Understandable. I don't. You're you being know. realistic. I'm being realistic. Um. All right. So speaking of my 2022 goals, what are yours in addition to skiing? Oh, so uh, like I was making a joke. I'm going full outdoorsman. Uh-huh. Yep. So I. I completed my sa- my gun safety course last year, okay. so I submitted my check to Pittsfield Police Department for my license to carry. Okay. So I plan to join the sportsman's club in the Berkshire mm-hmm. to learn how to shoot. That's okay. one. Skiing. Um, now, is that shooting for, like, hunting? So I potentially will go into, um, into hunting, but I just want to learn how to shoot in okay. general. All right. Um, I did pick up, um, it's called skeet shooting. So that's when you have a shotgun and then you have the little disc that they shoot out and you have to aim for it. Oh, right, yeah. Um, so I've done that in the past and that's fun and okay. that's what really uh, spurred me into chasing after my license to carry. Okay. Um, I'm studying for my CFP. That okay. acronym is the Certified Financial Planner. Okay. So that just makes me uh, an expert in my craft. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I pass that this year. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, Ali and I, uh, Ali's my girlfriend, like I mentioned, we're purchasing a house. Congratulations. Thank you. So that's at this Friday, I'll be a homeowner. So that's fantastic. A huge goal. In Pittsfield. In Pittsfield. Yes. Um, I'm one of those people. Uh, being a virtual financial advisor, yeah. um, that was one of my goals to get a remote job and stay in the Berkshire. Mm-hmm. So that. I, I, I mean, I'm starting off pretty well. I guess yes. it's, what, seven days, well, 12 days into 12 the new year? 12 days into the new year, and um, I would say it's a fantastic start. Um, what are your goals? Oh, Robert? my goodness. Well, I mean, you you heard my fanciful goal of, of, of making clothes, but I would say, you know, I just completed a vision board, um, and yes, I will... I heard. <laughs> And I will say that part of it is being intentional at the core of everything that I do for 2022. It's being intentional and being present. Um, I think that life has taught us that there's so much uncertainty and um, not to set things in stone. But I still don't think that that negates the process of planning. I still think you can plan but also be flexible. And so my goal is to be intentional. Um, I'm optimistic. And I know that even though we're going to have some, you know, 2022 is going to bring its own spate of uh, situations. Um, I think just meeting it head on. Mm-hmm. And and I think if you can bring your core values to your situation, no matter what you go through, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And so that is my goal is to be intentional. Um, and lastly, if you had what if you had to choose one word to describe yourself, what would that be? One word to describe myself. Mm-hmm. Faith. All right. Um, and the reason why I use I use the word faith because the definition of faith um, is the belief in something that's not seen or heard. Right. And I think. That's just the personification of my life. Mm-hmm. I had to have faith that football work out, faith that school and career work out, faith that family things will work out, um, and that's all due to my my belief in God, and that gets me through the day to day. And so far, twenty eight years of life, 
just, <laughs> just turned 28 yesterday. Happy birthday. Um, God's been there every every step of the way and every goal that I prayed about has been answered. Not in my time, right? but it has been answered. I hear so that. I, I say I'm blessed and I'm lucky. <laughs> I hear that. Well, you know what? It's well said. And um, I think that's a description that is very fitting and apropos to carry you into 2022. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, Roberta. For joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Um, We had such a great conversation. And um, honestly, I think that um, we just covered a lot of great bases. So thank you again. And um, everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsville with Roberta McCulloch-Dews off the mayor's office in the city of Pittsville. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day.